welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Jason. Hey, what's going on, fellas? What's hey. up, Jason? Hey. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I fixed the intro. <laughs> I, I just say your name. It's good. It works yeah. that way. It's cool. Yeah. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good, yeah. I'm real excited to talk about this movie. Obviously, it was my pick, so... Yeah, you would you know, be excited. I would be excited, It would be odd if you picked one you weren't happy to talk about, but that's happened to me, so... Mm. <laughs> I'll do it one day, I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Um, But first, like usual, oh, I, I didn't even say what we're talking about. Fuck, I'm too excited. So, <laughs> we're talking about Ultrasound from 2021, directed by Rob Schroeder. Not Rob Schneider. Not Rob Schneider. That's somebody else. You can clearly tell in the artistry of the film. <laughs> um... But first, we are going to talk about what we've been watching, and I have two shout-outs this time. Oh. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Because first, this is our first episode we've recorded since this has happened. I have to go out of my way to mention our friends over at Unsung Horror, Erica and Lance. Erica has an Indiegogo right now, funding her book, The Sweetest Taboo, An Unapologetic Guide to Child Kills in Film. If you listen to Unsung Horror, you know that's a regular uh, interest of hers. <laughs> one i happen to share it's fucking awesome i love that there's going to be a book for it i love that she's the one that's writing it because that's who would be more perfect I, I could never think of anyone else mm-hmm. to be like the person to make this book um it's up for a while it's still got like as of us recording right now 30 days to go so it's easy to go check it out mm-hmm. if you're interested in having a cool film book all about movies that have child death in them if you support fictional child murder <laughs> in cinema you should you should back the book like we do you should back the book <laughs> yes um yeah i'm super excited for it i'm excited that she's finally getting this out there that's awesome uh, i'll definitely put the link on our show notes so you know it's your thing i Very get it cool. some people they're like well it's a weird weird topic to get into but it's not real it's a, yeah okay. it's all fiction sure i mean again like you always say know your limits mm-hmm. and all that stuff if that bothers you don't, don't back it don't buy the book <laughs> yes but we're going to support her yes very good so go give that a look see if it's your thing show, show some love and even if it's not your thing you know let people know let it find its audience help it mm-hmm. help mm-hmm. it along the path to get there to the people that will appreciate it so that's one number two Speaking of Unsung Horrors, we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it. And there's all kinds of other cool shows out there you can listen to. I've not done one in a while where I've sought out one of our podcast neighbors and listened to them and given a little info. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to highlight this. We got a new podcast on the network, so I wanted to give a friendly welcome to Screams from the Basement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so their thing, uh, Screams from the Basement with Sam and Casey, is a bi-weekly horror podcast where two friends discuss all things horror, including new things, recent recent watches, horror collectibles, all that good stuff. Welcome aboard, guys. So, I love uh, your title. I wish we thought of that because we were in my basement. And great title. Yeah. Oftentimes, Screams issue forth. <laughs> we, we stressed so hard and then finally got genre exposure, but <laughs> something so obvious as Screams from the Basement yeah. just eluded us. Um, so welcome aboard. I haven't had time to listen to you guys yet, but I'm sure I will at some point and cycle back and talk about it. Oh, for sure. Uh, always glad to have more people on, on the prescribed film network mm-hmm. doing cool stuff. So all that being said, what have you watched, my friend? Okay. Um, I watched, uh, the Collingswood story. Okay. Yeah. It's on my list. Yep. It was from 2002. It is written and directed by Michael Costanza. 
I don't think he has done much else since then, unfortunately. Um, however, basically this is a, about a separated couple that attempt to keep their friendship alive by video chatting. Mm. That new emerging the, the, technology. The new crazy, yeah. yeah. Um, but a chance encounter with an online psychic initiates a disturbing reign of terror. Um, it's it's a fun little movie. It's such a time capsule because mm-hmm. this came out. It was two thousand two, so it was probably made you know two thousand one. I'm gonna say this belongs in the same category as a personal guilty pleasure of mine, which is uh, Cry Wolf, the slasher where the killer uses AOL Instant Messenger to stalk his victims. Oh, really? Yeah, I never saw that one. Oh man, it's dumb but good. Um, did it have like a at least a tenuous grasp on how the internet works? Kinda, yeah. I think it's a few <laughs> years after this one, so. 2002 is pretty early. This, this one actually did okay for, mm. for the most part. Um, like it had the, a fun, remember like the old Windows music player thing? Oh, it yeah. had like its own little tablet looking icon. It had yeah. one of those for their video chat group. Of course, the camera quality was way too good. <laughs> um, but they do mention about how she was like filming videos for him. And he was like, man, it took me forever to download. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, and and they're also constantly like she has to plug her laptop up to a phone line, mm-hmm. so she's trying to find a really big long phone lines and going to different places with it and stuff like that. So that's pretty fun. Hmm. Um, it's a fun, charming little movie. It's not, you know, it's not like Blair Witch. It's not right. like groundbreaking. And it's no uh, the Den. Did you ever see that? I never saw the Den. Oh. I did see Fear dot com. That sucked. <laughs> that's a different direction. Yeah. Um, but I think as a, as a curiosity piece, as seeing what people were doing in the early days of the internet, I think that it's 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 interesting to watch. Cool. And I think it's it's streaming on Shutter right now. I do believe. Oh, well, there you go. We got to get our Shutter nod. Yeah, seriously. Once an episode. <laughs> so you can do, and it's only an hour and twenty minutes. So nice. It's perfect for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have to talk about. Uh, I could talk about two, but I'm just going to talk about one, because we also have another thing to talk about. Yeah, we got something else we got to talk about Um, here. If you follow me on Twitter, which again, I've been been keeping to my New Year's resolution. Every time I watch something new this year, I do a tweet's worth of blurb about it, which has been fun. It's been kind of challenging to compress my thoughts sometimes into just a tweet. I think just using Twitter would be challenging. Yeah, so (laughs) that's an extra layer of challenge. Um, But I picked up from Error4444, which is one of my more favorite newer labels that has come out. Uh, red spell spells red and centipede horror. Mm-hmm. Um, at first I wasn't going to get them because they both involve creepy crawlies as a central thing in their plots and everything that was going on. HK black magic movies. That's but, what they're all about. But I don't know. I got that, uh, the whole like FOMO fear of missing out thing where they announced <laughs> that they were on like the last batches of them that they had done for the first run. Mm. And I was like, I have all their releases. I should just yeah. go ahead and get them. Yeah, complete it. Right. So then I was compelled to go ahead and watch them. Uh, centipede horror. I guess I will talk about it just real briefly. Um, it was kind of bland. It was a lot of like boring dragging stuff in the middle. But I am de- definitely, definitely afraid of bugs, and it fucking destroyed me <laughs> because there are so many live centipedes in this film everywhere, and whatever the plot doesn't matter. Oh god, my skin crawled <laughs> while I watched it, and I just I was not okay the rest of the day. Let me guess, it's actually like a soap opera, but with like black magic and bugs, right? <laughs> and not even that really. It's more like a, it's a dude and his sister dies mysteriously from a curse that's related to centipedes, and then. It has to do with their family and their history, and it's kind of one of those, like, find out the history, the okay. secret history of my family kind of horror it film. It involves centipedes. <laughs> um, but the climax of the film 
involves a little tiny hotel room being flooded with live centipedes <laughs> and coming out of every hole and orifice that's possible to find in there. <laughs> Going into holes and orifices, I'm Along sure. with the lead actress holding live centipedes in her mouth to do a scene where she then throws them up because she's being like exercised of the curse. Mm-hmm. I wanted to die. <laughs> I maybe died a little. Uh, red spell spells red. It was really good. I actually quite liked it. It was very crazy, very over the top. It was like someone desperately wanted to do Cannibal Holocaust with a touch of Evil Dead in there. Hmm. Just super, super fun. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, I choked on spit. You shouldn't be token during the podcast. I don't know why I started. <laughs> What are you, Elon Musk? <laughs> yeah. What I will say about it, though, is like, there's a lot of animal cruelty in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there is some in centipede horror, too. Cause, especially the centipedes. <laughs> especially the centipedes. But, like, this one, like, uh, it gets a little weird. Like, they just kill a pig, like, on camera. Um, and, and they pass it off. It's like Cannibal Holocaust in the yeah. same way. Um, I appreciate with Error 444. Four, I think it's four fours. I'll get it right in the show notes. That's <laughs> all that matters. Um, they made a cut where they remove all the animal cruelty scenes. Mm-hmm. So you can just watch it without that if that's a hang-up for you. Yeah, they did the same thing with Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I watched it uncut, of course, because it's whatever. Purist. Um, but yeah, this one was like the true traditional like black magic kind of film where it's like there's a curse and it's rampaging and killing people and then it all builds up to this big final climactic moment where they bring in some like priests and they try to do this big, huge, elaborate ritual which props to the lead actress in this one because they freaking like water torture her at one point. They put her on a giant wheel and like spin oh. the wheel and it runs down through water. Yeah. And she just shot the scene, man. So wow. she's a trooper. Super fun, super crazy, just completely bonkers. I'll have to watch it. That's been on my list forever. I've just never managed to track it down. Definitely seek it out. Cool. So that being said, there was one more thing we we have watched, you and I, together, that we, we sure wanted did. to talk about. We ventured to the cinema to see this movie. We did. Um, I don't know. I'll let you set it up, because I've been talking for a bit. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> we went to go see Skinamarink. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, it is a low-budget I mean, experimental. They're, they're going to know it made, like, a bajillion dollars. It didn't make that much. It made a profit, because <laughs> it was shot for the cost of a used car, so... But the, the synopsis is that two children wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, they find their father missing, and all the windows and doors in the home have vanished. Uh, so this is... You, that's yeah, the plot. You, Good night, everybody. That's the plot. Bye. It is, this is a polarizing movie, because apparently other people love it or they hate it. Right. We fall squarely into the camp of hating it. <laughs> well, let's, let's take them along the ride with okay, us. Okay, so. all right, all right. Uh, we were hyped about the idea of it. Absolutely. Because we love experimental horror. You we, didn't even watch the trailer. I didn't watch the trailer. I watched the trailer, and it only made me more excited to go see it. And you told me that, and that made yeah. me more excited. Yeah. So we were amped. And nowhere around here really had it. So we picked a kind of out-of-the-way theater we don't normally go to mm-hmm. just to even try to get at this while it was in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we were all hyped, and we were both fans of experimental horror. Yeah. We like low-budget stuff. Love you know, Blair Witch, love surreal yeah. stuff. We love subtle, you know, nuanced horror films. But, man, this this just did not <laughs> land for us. <laughs> At first, I was digging it. But then time went on, and I was digging it less. 
it was one of those things like when it started i was like okay this is all right starting point right to begin from to go somewhere and i feel bad shitting on this movie a whole lot i don't <laughs> i think there are good <laughs> ideas let me say some positive things okay. I, there are good ideas in this the mm-hmm. basic premise i think is intriguing it's great yes um if you just tell me the idea is hey some kids wake up all the doors and windows in their house that could let them go outside have vanished yeah oh, that, that's oh. what hooked me i heard that okay. synopsis and I'm, I'm down um, so, I'll, yeah, I'm down for that magical realism, that nightmare mm-hmm. imagery and situation and stuff like that. But I just did not like how this was presented at all. It was just, it was a 20-minute short crammed into an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, it it really dragged. Um, I'll be honest, like, after about 10, 15 minutes, I literally thought, like, oh, if Jason would stand up, because he was like, I'm just going to walk out. I never walk out of movies, especially if I had to pay for the movie ticket. Uh-huh. But I was like, I, I kind of think I would this time. Wow. I and I, and that I, much time. And I saw you shift once or twice. So I was like, oh, is this it? Is this it? Do you know why I was shifting so much? Because <laughs> I was falling asleep. I was literally yeah, falling I, asleep. I, I kind of heard you breathing deeply a few times. <laughs> and I was like, huh. So I'm like, I've got to move around a little bit. <laughs> I got I also had to use the bathroom, but I didn't want to leave because I'm like, okay, if I go, this is when it's going to amp up and things are going to start to happen and it's going to get creepy and weird. I had the same problem. And I even watched another person in the theater. That, well, this is like kind of how bored I was. I was watching everyone else. <laughs> People watch. Um, I watched another lady get up and go to the bathroom and come back. And then I was like, okay, in the time that she was gone, nothing has happened. <laughs> it's probably the same static shot. And so I, I started to tense myself. And I was like, I'm just going to go then. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but wait, what if now's the time? What if now suddenly it's going to yeah. become a good film? Right. And so I just sat there the whole time. Yeah, same here. And <sighs> it's just the long, static, lingering shots with nothing happening. Like, mm-hmm. How many times do we have to say the same public domain cartoon played over and over and over? And it's like, yes, we get it. It's repeating itself. <laughs> we fucking get it. Move on. And I, I get that a lot of people say like, "Oh, it's got this great atmosphere." I was like, I didn't, I didn't feel any atmosphere in it to me because it's just like, there's no, uh, like we'll get into it when we talk about ultrasound. This is part of why we wanted to talk about this movie. Is like ultrasound has like so much atmosphere, and it's like dripping there right from the get go. The second, yeah, it's also starts. got a story. Oh yeah, <laughs> which I don't necessarily even need for the right kind of a horror film. I I will say that I think this. I think the director is able to capture a good <laughs> nightmarish perspective because we've all had those dreams where things just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like your house, but it's not your house. <laughs> Everything's just a little bit off. And I will say that it there's a good atmosphere of that in this for me. Mm, I'll give it that kinda. much. But it just didn't, It there was nothing. <laughs> to me, there was nothing to latch on to. There's no character. There's no story there's no the visuals aren't creepy enough or consistent enough that that was my other thing too is all the scares are like uh kind of just like little jump scares yeah like like the telephone ringing very like like youtube video tiktok-y like jump scare where it's just an image comes up and the volume goes to like max plus 10 Mm -hmm. and normally i don't get so pissed off at a bad movie but my hopes were just so high for this (laughs) maybe that was my fault maybe i shouldn't have um, I have a, well, I want to dig on this a little further, but I have a quote from the director, I guess from an interview or something. Um, cause this maybe gets it. a thought I've had about this since we watched it. 
Uh, so he said, I guess it was him talking about like films and stuff in general. He yeah. said, uh, also good horror movies that are creepy, but not necessarily scary only get creepier with age. When it came out, the shining didn't necessarily get the response that it would get today. And that's because it's not scary. It's creepy and creepy things only get creepier with age. Um, now with all due respects to him. Yeah. I deeply disagree with this. I think The Shining's like one of the scariest fucking movies ever made. People forget that The Shining was a pretty big deal when it came out. Yeah. It really was. Um, but but the, that thing, it's like uh, this is like the thesis statement of that comment is it's creepy things kind of just sit there, and the older they get, they're creepier. And I think that's like this sort of like uh, a very modern like creepy pasta idea of like oh here's this old thing yeah. and there's something weird about it. Old thing equals creepy. And an old thing is creepy. And I felt that in the film because they have all these public domain cartoons mm-hmm. that they play, um, which I'm sure was a cost thing, which, which is fine. But they would linger on them. Well, usually like, they would they linger. They took up half the movie. Yeah, I'm that sure. was like half the movie. I would like to clock. The, actually, I wouldn't like to clock that. <laughs> I would like someone else to clock that and tell me how much um, time it takes. And it was one of those things where it's like, I felt like he was standing there like with it on display and be like, oh, look how creepy this is. Yeah. And it's like... It, it's not creepy though. You no. you think it's creepy because if you go on like Reddit, the the no sleep Reddit, and you read a bunch of creepy pastas, all of them are like, hey, there's this weird old TV show yeah. that uh, maybe doesn't exist, and it does blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens in those story is what makes the old show creepy. Right. The fact that the old show exists and it's just old doesn't make it creepy. No. Um, so what I wanted to bring up is I, I felt like it very much wanted to be one of those like weird. YouTube like creepy pasta kind of ARG sort of things like uh, I think of like a Marvel Hornets thing, which was like the original like big Slenderman mm-hmm. kind of effort. Yeah, where um it was just like someone uploading videos on YouTube and it was kind of was it real was it not real? It had the whole like Blair Witch motif to it where you didn't know mm-hmm. and it was just these weird videos that kept getting uploaded more and more. Um, and I thought even more like after Marvel Hornets, the people that made that they tried to do this follow up called Clear Lakes Forty Four. And it was just this thing where you were getting, like, camera feeds from around the town. And it was very, like, voyeuristic and kind of, like, there was no plot at first. And mm-hmm. it was just, like, you observing each episode would be, like, some camera in a town somewhere. But then slowly as you watched it, you learned characters and picked up a narrative. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a little Twin Peaksy in a way where it's, like, there's weird stuff going on, but you don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. Never saw it that. felt like it wanted to be that, which... Part of the way those work is that you just stumble upon it or you hear about it like from a friend online. Mm-hmm. And when you put it in a, a movie theater and it's this big to-do, like it loses all of that uh, that energy, I guess. Yeah, the medium you play it on matters. Like I think, I think for some people, if you found this by just like stumbling on a download link on an old forum somewhere, yeah. it would feel different than seeing it in the theater. Right. So... Uh, all that is to say, if you liked it or loved it, that's cool. More power to you. Everything resonates with people differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the final thing I want to say is in my like little Twitter review of this one, I mentioned that it probably needed to just be a 20-minute short film tops. Mm-hmm. And someone reached out to me and was like, well, hey, the director made a short film called Heck. And, and this it, is where this comes and from. And it's in the same style. And it's only 20 minutes, so you should give it a watch. So I did. Did you? I watched it, yes. Um, How did you feel about it? It was 10 minutes too long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. Like, my whole thing was like, I said that, and then I was like, okay, well, also me, I'm wrong. 
about that. It, it didn't need to be a 20-minute short film. It needed to be a 10-minute short film. <laughs> now, as a short film, it's not bad. No, no. It's, it's it, okay. It, it could have been shorter. Um, <laughs> I do like how... Because in, in, in the short film, it's almost like a kid's carrying an iPhone and recording with it or something. Mm-hmm. It's like a POV. But in the movie, it's more like a third-person perspective. Yeah. But yet, at times, it feels like it wants to be found footage. Right. Which, when you look at all those creepypasta things, like the two I mentioned, Marble Hornets and um, Clear Lake 44, mm-hmm. those both are found footage. Because Marble Hornets is someone's like video footage, mm-hmm. and then they started video diary out of it. Right. So, but, I, mean, I don't know. I, I think I'm so upset because, at its core, I think it's a really good idea. I think it's a creepy idea. I think it could be very effective. I just don't think it was executed well. That's my opinion. But it made a ton of money, which is more power to him. You know, I'm I'm happy to see indie horror getting attention and making some money. That's great. I just this this one didn't sit with me. (laughs) Um, But because it is sort of a weird, surreally mind bendy movie, we thought it was prescient to talk about it. Going into ultrasound. Yes. So let's do that now. I just wanted to come back in on us also making fun of Skinamarine still. <laughs> nice. Um, today we're talking about Ultrasound from 2021, directed by Rob Schroeder, written by Connor Stetschult, which we'll probably talk about a good bit because it's based on a graphic novel that he made, Generous Bosom. Which you have sitting right here. Yes, on the table because in the wake of the film, let me get the company. I have it here somewhere. Is it Fantagraphic, I want to say? Yes, Fantagraphics. They did a hardcover collected edition of the whole thing titled Ultrasound after the movie. And it is big and chunky and gorgeous and a wonderful read. So It's very cool. It reminds me of some of the... uh, uh, In the 90s, they republished a bunch of um, William S. Burroughs books. Yeah. And they had weird funky colors like this one does. It's a very striking cover. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Um, and if you dig the film at all, it's definitely a worthy companion piece to seek out. Especially when you look to buy things for this movie and realize something that we'll get into. <laughs> okay. A bone I have to pick. All right. So what's this movie about? Okay. Well, I've got a synopsis over here. Laying on me, man. After his car breaks down, Glenn spends one hell of an odd night with a married couple, setting into motion a chain of events that alter their lives plus those of several random strangers. Okay, yeah, sure. It sets you up without giving too much. Yeah, you don't want to get too much into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what genre do you think this is? So, officially, it is considered drama slash mystery slash sci-fi. I'm actually pretty happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I think there are horror elements to it. I don't know if I would give it the horror tag officially, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, sci-fi and horror, they're such close cousins. Um... Yeah, I wouldn't say there's really any real horror in it. But definitely some drama, definitely mystery, and heavy on the sci-fi, too. Yeah. But it's also a very grounded sci-fi, which is something I appreciate about it, which we'll talk about. It's very, I guess, like near future kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of believable. (laughs) 
especially given our current climate with <laughs> social media and technology and everything. Yeah. Um, I guess a fun little background to make that connection on the uh, the guy that made the comic also writing it. So um, he started working on the screenplay in 2016. Hmm. And he's actually was on record as saying like the uh, director approached him and was like, hey, I, I've read your graphic novel. I dig it. I would like to pick it up and option it to make into a film. And I'm just going to get someone to like write a script and adapt it and maybe do our own thing or whatever. And he basically told them, like, no, I'd really like to write the script if you would let me. Because um, I still don't know where this story's going. And I would like to be involved hmm. in that process of it also becoming a film. That's fun. That was pretty cool. It's nice when the actual writer of the source material can actually work on the movie. It's always yeah. welcome. Um, which it shows, too. Like, we'll, we'll, of course, go through the film as always. But, like, uh, I page through the graphic novel again today before I, I came here and it's really pretty spot on with the film. Like I can't give you like a meaningful thing that's like notably different between them, mm-hmm, which okay. is interesting. I mean, of course like the execution is going to make it different. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Like I noticed it's in black and white, right? It's all yeah. in black and white. Yeah. And this is a very colorful movie at certain times and color is important in this mm-hmm. movie too. So, and then I think too, the fact that it's about sound to a degree Making it a film adds that dimension in a, a meaningful way mm-hmm. that's different from a comic medium, and you can kind of appreciate both both uh, both versions. For sure. So we open, as always, on a dark and stormy night. <laughs> the best kinds of the nights. The best kind of night. And we have our protagonist, Glenn. Played by Vincent Carthizer. Likeable who, dude. Yeah, who you will know as Pete from Mad Men. Oh, yeah. And he played Connor on Angel. Did you watch Angel? Spotty. I'm Spotty on Angel. Okay. So. Yeah, he was Angel's son oh, on that show. Never got that far. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it, he was in turns annoying and okay in that. Um, mm-hmm. The last season he turns up again and he's much more likable. But then on Mad Men, I was just blown away by how good he was. Did you ever watch Mad Men? No. Okay, you need to watch Mad. Never gone down that road. Anybody out there who hasn't watched it, it's one of the best TV shows ever, period, full stop. Oh, okay. And he's great in it. So, yeah, he's he's welcome presence in this movie for sure. <laughs> um, but he's been at a wedding, and he's a little drunk, a little tired. It's rainy, it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Then when... It doesn't help that someone set out, like, a spike strip <laughs> on the road. Yeah, uh, it seems to be a homemade spike strip. Yeah, it's though. just like yeah. a wooden plank with nails. Yeah. But it does the job. Yeah, pops his tires. And he's got to pull over and... What are you going to do? He's got to hoof it mm-hmm. to the nearest place. And he comes across this large house. And I think this is our first hint that something isn't quite right here. Yeah, something weird's going on. The camera lingers to show us there's a tray. Yeah, like a serving tray from a hotel. Mm-hmm. Set out in front of the house. Like getting rained on. Mm-hmm. Which, Which is weird. I, That confused me. I'm like, okay, is this like a motel or something? Yeah. A hotel? Is, no, no, <laughs> it's not. It's just like someone's private residence. And in this residence, he meets Art. Yes, played by Bob Stephenson. Seems like a nice guy. Quite middle-aged guy. Middle-aged guy. You know, a little pudgy. Um, he very much has the like sitcom dad vibe to him. Sure, sure. Kind of like a maybe you know, a buddy you go out and grab a beer with every now and then or something. Mm-hmm. And he lives there with his wife, Cindy. Who is noticeably younger. Noticeably younger, played by Chelsea Lopez. Who also is very good in those. 
Yes. Um, she has a very like just her style made me think of like a Drew Barrymore vibe going on. Yeah, kind of. That's a good comparison. Um, yeah. So they're talking, and you know, Art's like the nearest station is like miles away, and we're not going to get there tonight. You know, may as well just stay the night with us. And kind of the first thing you really pick up about Art is he has a very like fast talking. Almost like he could be a car salesman kind of guy. Like, just convince you of anything. Yeah, but it's not, like, annoying either. Because, no. uh, again, it is it is that, like, sitcom dad thing where it's like he's kind of, like, dumpy and doofy and... He's not threatening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And they're, they're talking and his alarm goes off. And he has to go take pills, is what Cindy says. Yeah. Explains that he has uh, <laughs> depression, suffers from depression. And then I love it when he comes back because he immediately admits it. He's like, all right, I got to admit it, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a depressive. Yeah. Uh, and then he even cracks jokes about it where he's like, I don't know who these uh, these things make more happy, Cindy or me. Mm-hmm. And the um, whole time there's like, there's definitely a connection between uh, Glenn and Cindy. Yeah, they're kind of eyeballing some, one another yeah, a little bit. Something going on there. Uh, and they're sitting there talking, having some drinks. And then suddenly like Cindy is not there. Yeah. From Glenn's POV. It kind of just time jumps. So... I want to talk about the music really quick. Um, the sound design was all done by Bob Barato and Zach Engel. And you know, the score is very like, it's what you would think of like a modern film of this style where it's kind of synth wavy. A lot of it's like, there's a few times where it really kicks in, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but a lot of it's like very inoffensive, just kind of sits nicely in the background, mm-hmm. but they do a lot of stuff with like these auditory tones and like drone sounds, mm-hmm. which eventually becomes very plot relevant. So I like that they sneak those in right from the start. Like the second he has to stop the car, you've got one of those drones going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's this auditory like clicking sound that will happen at certain intervals. And right. later that gets attached to something. But right now you're kind of just like, hmm, what, what is that about? Why does mm-hmm. that keep happening? Right. Um, so it's just more like mysteries being kind of layered on there, even in this early portion. And you hear the same kind of tone when he notices that Cindy's no longer there too, right? Yeah, like that represented the cut in time almost in a way. Yeah. And Art's like, she went to bed earlier, you know? And he says like, hey, are you okay? Uh, did you hit your head when you were out there? Yeah. And he even has a flashback for a moment where like, oh yeah, I like pumped the brakes and slammed my head into the, the steering right, wheel. Right, which didn't happen, at least not that we not saw that the we saw. Time. Right. Um. So Art, uh, Art's like, you know, you should stay here, but you should take the master bedroom with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, Glenn's like, "What? No, what?" And Art gets very direct. Where he's just like, "Come on, man! I saw you looking at her." Yeah, it's like it's okay. Go ahead. He's very insistent, you know. So you know, okay. So he wanders down to the to the room, and Art's like gesturing to keep going mm-hmm. down the hallway. And at first, Glenn's kind of benign about it. Really, he's kind of just like, "Well, I'm just going to humor him and go in there." Yeah. And whatever. Sleep on the floor. Yeah, she's up, she's awake, <laughs> and she seems you know pretty cool with it. Yeah, she says that he does this a lot because um, it's kind of suggested that he has what like erectile dysfunction or something. Yeah, something with like the depression and the medicine and stuff. Right, he has no sex drive really. Yeah, and they sit and talk, and Cindy says that Art was her high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Ergo, the age gap. Yes, I think I had a quote from this part because I thought it was cool. So then Art immediately becomes a little skeevy to us. Yeah, she says that um, 
was it there's like a power when you throw something away that people think is important mm, in yeah. reference to the fact that like it didn't make sense for her to date her teacher but she did so anyways right and she also says something about how she won't leave because he's a very persuasive arguer yeah <laughs> Oh, here it is. I have the exact quote. There's an energy when you throw away things that people think are important. Yeah. That uh, that hung with me since the first time I saw it. Nice. So So, I'm pretty sure they're about to hook up and everything. Yeah. And then we get the title card for Ultrasound, which is cool because it's kind of brightly colored and a little retro and Mm -hmm. all sci-fi-y. A little like LED screen kind of thing going on. Then we meet one of our other characters. Uh, Katie, right? Yeah, it cuts to Katie, played by Rainy Qualley. Who is uh, diving into a pool. And the first thing about this scene is that, like, it's almost a completely different visual style. Mm-hmm. Everything with the opening was, like, in dark tones, very, like, dim lights. And then now it's very bright. It's very stark. It's all, like, wide-angle yeah. shots. Yeah, a little flat, too, really. Mm-hmm. And she's like, swims, gets to the other side, and then there's a older dude just in there kind of chilling in the pool and he says something like how you know it's good that you're still doing this yeah (laughs) she's like what huh thanks yeah she seems a little peeved off like he's like maybe skeeving on her or something yeah i mean what's he talking about you know but his dialogue doesn't really line up the right way no because then she's in the changing room (laughs) and we see the pov of another person in there Mm -hmm. and it looks like to this person in the locker room and now to us that Katie is pregnant like very pregnant yeah but to herself she does not appear to be pregnant and she's struggling to try to put a shirt on and she's annoyed <laughs> that it's not like stretching down the right way that she thought it would yeah because she's pregnant <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, that's odd <laughs> so this is where I immediately that's unusual um, when I when I pitched this to you I said like it's kind of lynchian at times mm-hmm. this is where I started to get a lot of those vibes where it's like there's just weird stuff going on and they throw it right in your face right but you don't know the answer yet. Which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so who is Katie? She's just a just an average lady in this city. <laughs> who doesn't know she's pregnant. Who doesn't know she's pregnant. <laughs> and she's having problems with uh, her lover, who is Senator Harris. Played by Chris Garten. But we don't she, know who he is at this point no. yet, though. She's just calling him a lot. Wanting him to return her calls. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes in and saying something how you can't call him at work. Yeah. So we're immediately kind of suspicious. Something's going on here. What's what is this? He says he's very busy. There's a lot riding on what's going on. Yeah. And she sort of protests and she's like, "Why? Well, I, I came out here to be with you and mm-hmm. I've barely seen you since I came out here. Yeah. And what he, he makes her a drink and urges her just to relax. And I, I like even in this scene, cause in the scene it's supposed to be Katie's perspective. So we see her not pregnant but when she sits on the couch, the way she sits is very much like kind of like, like like you've got yeah, a load yeah. down there and you've got to yeah, sit a certain way, right? Um, so that was good like acting on her part, I thought. Yeah, good point. So after this little interlude, you're wondering, okay, what's this got to do with anything? <laughs> we get back to Glenn. Yep. He woke up in the house. Mm-hmm. No one's there. Completely everyone's gone. And he kind of stumbles away. We don't know what yeah, his happens. His clothes are like neatly folded, so yeah. he gets dressed. Yeah. There's... It, it time skips. He's back yeah. home. It was one weird night and he just went on. Which that is one scene. The one scene I will say it just came to me is in the comic 
that's not in the film, it starts with a frame story that's after Glenn has left and he's at a coffee shop and the intro is him telling his friend, like, hey, I had this crazy night and I slept with this dude's wife. Mm. And it, like, flashes back and shows you all that. And then he heads home, which is when the next scene that in the film happens. Oh, okay. So I guess that's not in there, but... Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we're back at, with Glenn at his house, we suppose. And Art shows up. Yep. And I love how he kind of peers in the window at yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Glenn doesn't seem too happy to see him. No. Uh, they kind of start yelling at each other, but then Glenn's neighbor is like, hey, what's going on up there? So Glenn's like, okay, <laughs> come in, come in. Reluctantly lets him in. And he's yeah. got a weird, like, brown bag with him. Yeah. And and Glenn's talking about how he ran over some nails. That's what the mechanic said. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a spike strip out there. And so he's pretty sure that Art put it there. Um, and Art just does a thing where he's just, <laughs> you know, talking and he convinces you. It's like, okay, okay. He wants to show... Glenn something. He's got to show you something. He's hooking up a camcorder <laughs> to his TV. And, and it, it's like, it better not be me fucking your wife or something to that effect. And it's so funny because Glenn is so hostile to him at first. But then after he talks to him a little bit, they almost have this camaraderie as they're trying to get the video camera to play. Yeah. He's, like, he's like, oh, I think you need to put it on channel three. And he's like, no, I think it's this AB thing. And <laughs> yeah. they're kind of just laughing about they're it. They're immediately just a couple of dudes trying yeah. to hook up a TV. Yeah. Uh, it's like the whole weirdness of the situation was like waxed over somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and in this video, we see Cindy, who looks to be several months pregnant at this point. Yeah. Which we don't know how long that time skipped. So. Right. Um, <laughs> and Glenn's like, he says something like how they stopped. They didn't actually have yeah, sex. He says, we he never says. finished. Yeah, so it couldn't couldn't be his. Um, and Art's like, I don't know. Cindy's pretty sure. Yeah. So Art talks <laughs> him into talking with Cindy. And he actually gets a text from her uh, saying to get rid of Art and she'll come over and explain. Mm-hmm. It's even more intrigue and weirdness. Yes. Uh, so we get the whole pregnancy thing with both of these parallel storylines. Something's connected. Mm. We just don't know how yet. Yeah. And then we cut to a woman. Yes, our other main character. Who I'm thinking maybe has OCD or something. <laughs> she's listening to like, it's like one of those self-help tapes or something. Um, um, it's those like binaural beats too, where it's like the audio tones that are supposed to like soothe you or put you in a certain frame of mind. Yeah. Um, but this is Shannon played by Brita Wool. She's pretty good too. Yeah, literally like every central actor in this. Oh is yeah, just everyone's great. Knocking out the park. Um, but yeah, she's kind of doing like, uh, it's like a self-help thing. It's like a thing to like amp you up to kind of mm-hmm. re- doubt yourself, mentally mm-hmm. reinforce that you're certain of yourself and not to doubt yourself and uh, be confident in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. But she's also like reading from a script, right? It well, yeah, yeah. Like it's... She does. She does that like little self-help thing. And then she pushes that aside and she's got a script and she starts to read from it. And, and it's when, like Cindy's dialogue. It's Cindy's dialogue. That we we had heard, or we hear it in the next scene, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you can see on the page, it's like Cindy with text, and then Glenn with text. And I think that's when it fades back to the two of them, isn't it? Yeah, I believe They're so. They're linked up, and she's explaining things. Mm-hmm. And we see two guys outside in a cart listening. Yep, spying on them. Yeah. More layers of weirdness. And we see. What's the lady's name? 
the doctor uh, Shannon Shannon. Then we see her talking with apparently another doctor in the office who turns out to be, his, his name is Dr. Connor, we learn. Yep, played by Tunde Adabimp. And, and they're going over the lines. Butcher that name, I am sorry, man. Yeah. You are a great actor. Yeah, he is good. Um, yeah, they're going back and forth and having that same conversation we just saw. And he's kind of telling, he's telling her how to say it, like inflections and things like that. It's weirdly ultra-specific, too, because he's like, oh, you missed a little laugh, like a ha-ha right here. Yeah. And then the other one is, I think it's when she says, like, art's just been so weird. He really wants her to be, like, so weird. And, like, really get that exact inflection. (laughs) And then he says, like, you know, I think you're ready. And so we, as a viewer, are, like, ready for what? For, yeah, I'm not ready. (laughs) Um, I think it's the part where we see Cindy's at Glenn's. Yep. They've been hanging out for a while now. She's just started living with him. And he comes home with, like, more orange juice. Mm Mm-hmm. But he notices there's also a full thing of orange juice in the fridge. <laughs> and she comes up with her stomach's like, it's like her stomach is deflating. Yeah. And she starts flipping out. He yeah. starts flipping out. Understandably. Like you do. So he, he gets on there and calls an ambulance. And then it cuts to the people monitoring them and they say, oh no, they're trying to involve the ambulance and like get a hospital. We have to take them now. Yeah. So they go in there and extract them. And we see them in the back of their car <laughs> unconscious. And then I believe the next thing we have with any of them is they're in that mental asylum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We see um, Shannon and Dr. Connor. They're walking through a maze-like building. Mm-hmm. And Connor even mentions how it's like multiple levels, and it, yep. it is like a maze. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I'll send you the blueprints." Something like they used to keep cheese here or something. Yeah, they would they would age cheese. Yeah. He's so like nonchalant about it. Dude. Yeah. Um, but she goes in the room with Glenn. He's wheeled in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And noticeably, you see her put like a earbud or something yeah, a little, into her. Which Dr. Connors even says like, oh, you'll need this. Make sure you keep this in. Yeah. And he wants her to like hide it with her hair so that they don't notice. Right. Um, but she goes in and it's kind of insinuated that um, Glenn and Cindy were in an accident. That's why Glenn can't walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they're doing is a sort of therapy that is going to help him because they think it's like a, a psychosomatic symptom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. And the therapy is to kind of do this role play where they read the script of Glenn and Cindy conversations. Yeah. In the control room, they turn on some tone or something. Yeah. And that's when they start reading from it. Glenn pretty quickly gets frustrated. And I mean, rightly so you, you pass the last thing you remember is that, this person you care about is maybe losing their baby. Yeah. Then you wake up in a mental asylum. You can't walk. In a wheelchair, you can't walk, and no one's telling you anything. That'd be very frustrating. Um, uh, then we cut to Art. Yep. Going against Glenn's place. Uh, and we learn he left a little box there. Yes. A strange little box that seems like a little little electronic, like custom wired thing. Yeah, yeah. It's from, he takes it up from behind the TV. So he probably planted it there when he was doing the whole camcorder thing. Yeah. Which it's great because when you watch that scene, he is leaned behind the TV and you don't see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But he kind of shakes it and obviously <laughs> it's not working anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, and he puts fridge, orange juice into the fridge. <laughs> I think he even like wipes down his prints, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Uh, tries, tries to bugger out his involvement. Yeah. And I think also it's kind of during this time we get uh, more with Katie, right? 
Uh, yeah, Art has a conversation with Alex. Yeah. The guy who was seeing Katie. Saying that this is just a setback, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And the, the Alex dude is in his garage, and all he's doing is making a bunch of right angles <laughs> out yes. of wood. Like a pile of right angles. <laughs> I don't know if that has any significance with anything. He seems to be a very obsessive individual. <laughs> Um, um, but we see in the background there's a big campaign sign and it's yeah. Senator Harris for re-election mm-hmm. uh, but then this is where spurred on by that Art goes to see Katie however when he shows up to her perspective he is Senator Harris yes and I love how they do it because it'll just like change in a in a flash like he'll be Senator Harris and then it'll pan and then you'll see in the background it's Art doing things. Right. And it kind of bounces back between them. Yeah. But uh, he full on like kisses Katie and, you know, plays the role mm-hmm. exactly to part. Um, and he ends up like drugging her drink. Yep. And once he has her drugged, he pulls out that little box and activates it. And it has that same tone that we've been hearing at the asylum. Yeah. And he puts her in this like very deep hypnosis. And what is it? He tells her like, Oh, you go to bed with Senator Harris. Yeah, you have sex. You have two orgasms. <laughs> it's plus, very specific. Plus one that you fake because you're getting tired. <laughs> yeah. Very um, specific. It's super memorable. Um, you feel like loved and complete. You have no desire to call him anymore. You can wait for him. You're not concerned anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he just leaves her to sleep and buggers out again. Yeah. It's very strange. I'm not really sure what's happening yet. Um, let's see. Then we get back more to this whole like medical place and what's going on. Yeah. Like Cindy's hooked up to like some brain machine thing. (laughs) And it seems to be seeing like what her reactions are to the different tones. Yeah. And she tells a story about how she was hypnotized in school. Yeah. There's some hypnotist there for some reason. Yeah. Um, well they ask like how she met art. Yeah. And she says, well, I, I had a crush on him and I admitted it at the, it was like a, like a it's rap like some fair or yeah, something. School, yeah. School event. Right. And they were supposed to write it down on a piece of paper, but she just blurted it out that yeah. she had a crush on her teacher art. And there's some back and forth here and there, but we also see there's, yeah, there's, at some point we see a commercial too for the Alex dude. Yeah. He's very, um, he has to be a Republican, right? I mean, oh no, on. he's yeah. a Republican. Yeah, he's, he's got the whole. <laughs> he's got his whole family in the ad, yeah. and yeah, Katie is not his wife, right? <laughs> so s- slowly, the puzzle pieces are starting to come together a little bit. Um, at least, what's going on with Katie and Art's involvement in this picture? Yeah, <laughs> we have a scene where Shannon is like yelling at her boyfriend. Or is it a husband? Who I assume, boyfriend, husband. They're having a pretty hostile fight on the phone. Yeah. And then we just switch over to her husband real quick. And it's the only scene you see him in. Yeah, it's the only thing. And I thought that was going to be more significant. Because he's like, (laughs) bye, on the phone in this weird way, kind of offhanded. But that's the the only time we see him. (laughs) It was kind of weird. That scene stuck in my head. It never had much of a payoff. It does give us a little more about Shannon's character. She's clearly been in a very... I'll just say probably abusive relationship yeah, to some degree. True. 
and she is she is like a therapist. She is like a, a counselor, but she has some she has some high emotions. Yeah, a lot that she's probably bottled and not really mm-hmm. really dealt with. So in a way, uh, Cindy's situation kind of resonates with her. They really get like a good bond going as they continue this whole weird program that's been set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, that leads to a day where she sits down with Cindy. And she says, hey, we have to talk about some things that's going to be upsetting to you. And is kind of, you know, like, you know, checking her, <laughs> making sure she's going to be okay. Yeah. She shows him a picture. <laughs> it's like it's taken from your book. Yeah. That this is your high school teacher. He's like, no, that's that's not art. That's some other guy. Mm. Well, she says that's the hypnotist that was at the... Yeah, that's the hypnotist, right. At the event. But Shannon's like, no, no, this is the hypnotist. And it's like some flyer. And it's art. It's the amazing art. The hypnotist. <laughs> She's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so apparently somehow art hypnotized her into being with him. Yep. Which, and, and constructed the whole narrative of being her teacher. He shoots up even higher up on the ski level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I've got the other session with Glenn, and he's remembering different versions of events where Cindy wasn't pregnant yep. when she was supposed to be. And this is one of those things where we get like this colored filter on everything yeah and it's like Dario Argento film all of a sudden I love these flashbacks because it's, it's them in his apartment at night and everything is cast in like blue yeah but it's just but he'll have a light on the background that's red and yeah. it's like this neon red that's like it's very Suspiria yeah cut into the blue yeah it's just saturated very gorgeous and again it's kind of a thing where it's like almost whichever story you're on they change the way the camera work is like everything with Glenn is very like vibrantly colored but dark tones mm-hmm and then everything with Katie is very static, very straightforward. Yeah. And then everything with Shannon, it's very like clinical. Yeah, kind of cold. Kind of cold, a lot of like whites, grays. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting composition when we have these different narratives and they each have almost their own little style that supports it. Yeah, that's a good observation. And I think at one point Shannon even wonders why Art made them believe that she was pregnant. Right. Because like, where was the baby going to come from? What's, mm-hmm. the, what's the end game to that? Right. And then now we as the viewers, that gives us like the key yeah. to a degree. Uh, okay. And we see Art in the office talking <laughs> to this couple that wants to adopt. And it's all very shady. Yeah. He's like, there's no birth certificate. You know, there's no information about the mother and none of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just their special way they do things there. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we realize the truth of what it is, is that the senator hired him because he got Katie pregnant and they need to make the baby go away. So they're making Katie believe she's not pregnant. But once she has the baby, they're going to give that to Glenn and Cindy. Yes. But until things went sideways with this medical facility getting involved. And so now they're going to just try to adopt it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get a bit more backstory, thankfully, after that. Because Dr. Connors is talking with some observers yep. over at the hospital. Uh, talking about how I used to have a partner mm-hmm. who was an electrical engineer. Who did a lot of the research. and Yeah, he uh, was kind of the one that first found the tones. Yeah. But he went a little rogue. Yeah, they broke the partnership. Uh, and apparently he kept working on his own yeah. outside of the hospital. Um, so now you can see kind of like the way he has the box and it's this little janky looking thing. Yeah. That's his attempt to do what they have done in this medical facility right. with the big like computer banks yeah, and stuff. Yeah, homemade stuff. And, and Connor says something about how they found out about it and they're continuing the work. Yeah. But it was a big setback for Art to go go off the rails on him. Yeah. 
So they're trying to like reverse engineer a lot of the stuff that he figured out. So while they had these people watching, uh, they had Glenn Rodin to the you know, to yeah. the room at the table and everything, and she tells he tells Shannon to give him the instructions. They're playing the tone, and she's talking about. She says, "I want you to stand up." Yeah. And Shannon's hesitant at this because she's like, "He can't walk. He can't. What are you talking about? He's not going to stand up." Um. But when they switch that tone, when they switch the tone on, yeah, he he stands up, and even he is like, "What the hell? What what did you do? How can I stand?" And she's confused and pissed because it's obvious at this point that she's been kind of used. Yeah, um, he Doctor Connors intentionally left her in the dark so that it would be more surprising to these uh, people he's giving the tour to. Yeah, and he's talking to these guys, and he has a line that says something like, "You can save a lot of money in security personnel if the inmates don't know they can run away." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and this incises they, Shannon like she yeah. gets real pissed at this and those people leave and the other technician working there like wipes him yeah. wipes uh, Glenn and Shannon's like how many times have you done this and the technician is like <laughs> I'm not supposed to tell you <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about it <laughs> and then she goes to talk to Connor. She's all yeah. pissed off. Yeah, in his office, they kind of get into it over it. Yeah, and she says that all those people there were military contractors and ask if they're, like, building a weapon. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, you specifically told me when I took this job, it was all for medical purposes to use for, like, rehab and treating problems and helping people. Mm-hmm. And he has a great line that I, I wrote down because I liked it quite a bit. As he's kind of given his spiel about everything... He says, um, you know, the the goal is that they're going to help people with medical stuff. But he but says... There's no money in helping people. <laughs> yeah, but he says, unfortunately, for good scientists to survive these days, you have to be a sheep in wolves' clothing. Yeah. Which Shannon isn't having. No. And he immediately notices this, and so he decides, you know what? You've been worked really hard. Yeah. You need a break. Yeah. We're going to reassign someone else to take over Glenn and Cindy. You can get one more session with Cindy to finish out for the week, and then you just go take a nice long break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get a scene with Shannon. She goes to the bathroom, and she's listening to her like motivational tones and shit again. And she says that she knows what to do. And this is where we get one of the cool like music cue kick ins. So we get oh, yeah. this real like driving, like pulse pounding beat. Yeah, because she goes into wavy. goes into prep mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's talking to Cindy, slips her a note that says that she'll explain everything later. Asks her to come to a bathroom. Yeah, meet her in the bathroom later. Um, like, she, yeah, we see Shannon looking at the blueprints at Dr. Connor's Center and, like, booking a, a car and shit like that. She's quite resourceful. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see her. She's had this very reserved personality through a lot of the film. And, it, again, it does seem like we don't get a lot of context, but... She's clearly been through a lot. Yeah. And this feels like that switch has finally flipped and she's just going to take action finally. Yeah. <laughs> we get a funny scene with Art. Alex comes to his hotel room with his nephew. Yeah. Which it's so funny because he comes in and he's like, this is my nephew. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> Alex thinks that Art actually had sex with his girlfriend. Yeah. And before he gets a chance to explain anything, they hold him down and kick Kick the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then, I, and then Alex says, I don't want anything. I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. It's like, get out, get out of the state. 
<laughs> so apparently he's done with him, right? Yep. It's funny too because like, I mean, obviously, well, maybe he did. We don't know. We didn't see everything, but he was clearly smooching on Katie. So, yeah, but we didn't see him have sex with her. No. But it's funny to hear him stumble to be like, "No, no, that's the suggestion." That's- yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the beauty of it. And it's it's funny too because also before they blow up on him, the first thing he says to the senator is. I've had some ideas about how we can use this to help your campaign. Yeah. And he says, I'm thinking about radio commercials first. Mm-hmm. So then that gets even more insidious about like where this could go. Oh yeah. And that's where, um, so I said, you know, at the start it has some like Lynchian vibes where there's all this mystery and like unconnected characters. I'd even say a little bit of Cronenberg. Yeah. That's where I was going. When you get on into the film and you learn kind of what's going on, it starts to get the whole conspiracy and this insidious science plan. gone wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's channeling both the Davids. Like hey, say. you cannot go wrong there. <laughs> uh, let's see. Shannon gets to work the next day, and she sees Glenn staring at her from the window, which mm-hmm. is a shot we saw earlier. She's got this big notepad that says, what does it say? To meet her later on. Oh, meet her at the elevator in 30 minutes. Yep. And uh, let's see. Oh, and Shannon gives her badge to Cindy. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Is this when she brings her into the the bathroom, I think? Yeah, we don't see that till later. That's, That's like a right. flashback. That's a flashback, yeah. But she, she meets her in the bathroom, mm-hmm. yeah. We know that happened. We don't know what happened during it. Right. And then the next thing that goes on is that um, Shannon comes in, and she kind of talks to the security guard at the front desk. And she's got this whole story about, like, yeah, I think I lost my badge. Yeah. I think I just locked it in my office, and I really need it because I'm going to do some work this weekend. So I got to take some stuff home and it's, he sort of reluctantly takes her up there, which is the ploy for Cindy to go get Glenn. Yeah. Cause Glenn went to go meet, you know, who he thought was Shannon at the elevator, they hook up and Glenn's like, why aren't you pregnant? <laughs> She's like, why can't you walk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get some more cool, like techno type synthwave music. And they escape nice. through like the underground chambers of this big facility yeah they get to the vehicle that she had rented and they, they uh, go to a motel it looks like yeah she had, she had booked a hotel for them to hide out in until they could all link back up yeah and there's a conversation with Dr. Connor and Shannon and it's obvious that Connor suspects her yep but they've got no proof no proof um, and this is where we get a lot of reveals with um, what's going on with Glenn. Yeah. Because while Glenn and Cindy are staying at that hotel, they're sort of talking through things mm-hmm. and going over everything. And what is it? He mentioned something about their house. And then Cindy's like, we don't own a house. What yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. And then he's like, no, no, I met you at your house with mm-hmm. the house you have with Art. And she's like, we met you in a hotel room. Yeah. And they're talking about how they have, they're having deja vu right now. And we see one of those serving trays, too, in the shot behind yeah. them. And so we finally get what actually was going on at the start of the movie, mm-hmm. which is that Glenn was at that wedding, mm-hmm. and the amazing art was part of the entertainment. Yes. We get a fun flashback where he hypnotizes Glenn and two of his friends and does this whole thing where he makes them think they have a lottery ticket. Yeah. And Cindy is his assistant yeah. at this thing. And the other guys, it seems like the other guys are just kind of going along with it, but yeah. it's obvious that Glenn really <laughs> believes he has a winning lottery ticket. Yeah. Um, which they talk about that too. I think it's when um, Connors is given the tour 
he tells the people that are there that the reason they're using Glenn and Cindy is because they are very susceptible to the tones. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they have to refine is how they can strengthen them. So if it's someone that's not very receptive, it can still get them. Yeah. Well, it sucks to be Glenn. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, at some point, Cindy hands him a note. Yeah, slips him a little note. And then he's kind of stumbling through the halls, heading back to his room. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Art set up in his show was that if anyone that night asked to see that lottery ticket, they would pull it out of their hiding spot and show it. Yeah, which is in their sock. Yeah. And his buddies do that to him, and he reaches down, they just kind of laugh it off. <laughs> and it cracks me up because they call him Glennifer. <laughs> Glennifer, yeah. <laughs> That's such a friend thing. Yeah. That's such a bro thing um, to do. But when he goes to bring it out, he finds the note from Cindy. Yes. And it's just got a room number on it. It's 909. Which was the address on their mailbox at the start. Correct. So then he starts wandering to that room. And we see that serving tray sitting outside of the room. Yep, the exact the exact one. Yep. And in that room, of course, is Art. And he pops right in with the, you okay, Glenn? Yeah, yeah. And then basically we get, like, Art is telling Glenn everything. Pretty much, yeah, we see him planning the suggestion in Glenn's yeah. head. Everything that we saw at the beginning of the movie, this is what Art is doing to Glenn's mind. It's the, it, it's the same thing as the scene we see with Katie, where he's got that box activated. Yeah. Glenn is very subdued looking, and he is just coaching him through right. what happened. And he, he tells him to go to Cindy, and she's in the adjacent room. And we even see him do the same gesture thing that we saw before. Mm-hmm. So he does go in there and spends the night with Cindy. But notably, he hypnotizes him to think they've had sex. Do they or not, we don't really right. know. But yeah. <laughs> Sucks to be Glenn. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I think this is where Cindy. We catch up back to the present day. They're in the hotel room after escaping from the hospital, and Cindy's hearing like running water. Yeah, and she says, "Why is there that running water? I don't remember turning that on." Yeah, and then she goes into the the bathroom to check it out. And then we get another flashback. And that's where we get the flashback to where Cindy had met Shannon in the bathroom, yep. and the water was running. And she was playing the tones for her and stuff. Yep. She she gives her her badge, which was how they got out. Yeah. And she says, I'm going to play a tone for you, and I want you to remember this tone. And it's, it's She kind of does like the motivational thing she had been doing to herself, but she does it to Cindy. Yeah. And she says... And it's the reversal frequency she's playing, yeah. right? We see that labeled on her phone that she's yeah. playing. Yeah. It says it's the thing that reverses any of the, like the hypnotic tones. Yeah. And she basically tells her, like, you're always going to remember this sound. And if you ever feel uncertain about your world or that something's not right or something doesn't seem good, you will think about this tone and hear it. Yeah. So then Cindy realizes that they are still in the facility, that they never escaped at all. Yes. They are in a makeshift, half-assed, false hotel room. Yeah, they're still in one of those observation <laughs> rooms. Yeah, and it's kind of built up to look a bit like, like a crappy set for a hotel room. Yeah. And I think kind of concurrent with that revelation, we get Shannon... She goes to the drop point where she left the car, and it's still there. Yeah. They never took it. Right. So she storms back to the facility, Mm -hmm. which I like it, too. It's very subtle. When they escape, it's at night, and you can't really see. But if you pay very close attention, because I've now rewatched this a bunch of times, (laughs) it is a different car they get into and drive off in from the one that you see Shannon park and leave. Okay, nice. That's good It's very subtle, but... Yeah, because how would they know what car she got? Yeah. Yeah. They got out like the exit point they were told, and then there's the car. So nice. Um, so she storms the facility, 
And I love that she's just like, give me your fucking bed. <laughs> <laughs> Security guard just hands it over and she storms down and it is those sub-basement levels that were mm-hmm. supposed to be not finished. And she barges in about the time that Cindy realizes everything's fake and they're still trapped there. Yep. And Shannon finds Dr. Connors, uh, his little assistant that's been running all the tones. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Cindy's furious. She gets super fucking pissed. And she asks, like, have you been using the tones on me? Have you been wiping my memory? Right. And he basically says, you know, this is just some advanced testing. We were going to bring you in on it. It's uh-huh. just the typical, like, corporate BS. Yeah, right, right. So she gets pissed and she's the one that throws a chair through the glass, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then Cindy and Glenn. But what's cool about it is, so Cindy is freed now. Glenn, right. Glenn is not. So when the window shatters, it's like just the wall like caves into him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was cool. It gets very like almost psychedelic because they mount this escape, which they kind of like just knock the crap out of Dr. Connors. Um, And then they're stumbling out there and they're running down this long hall to try to get to the exit point. Because again, you know, Shannon had set all this up. Yeah. And as they're going, Glenn is like cycling through every different thing. What's yeah. really there, what Art has suggested to him. He's seeing the hotel room. He's seeing the, their house. The mental asylum. Yeah. And he'll keep looking to like side rooms and he'll see a side room and then Art's in there and he keeps repeating, the, oh, you okay, Glenn? Yeah. What's, what's going on? Yeah. Um, I love that shot. It was so cool. It was really cool. Good music here too. Uh, but they get out, get in the car, taking off. Um, but the radio is on mm-hmm. and there's something about like a lottery number, lottery winning or something like that. Oh, well, I do want to touch on what was just before they hear the radio. Yeah. Um, Shannon and Cindy are kind of discussing everything and Shannon's like, well, do we go to the cops? I don't know if they would believe us. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have to do something. And Cindy's not really sure. But then that's when, yeah, Glenn kind of focuses in on the radio. And he's sitting in the back by himself. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some, something about a lottery mentioned on the radio. And he reaches down into his sock and pulls out that winning lottery ticket. Which to him, it looks like a, it's a Powerball even, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that takes us kind of into the ending, but there's a few few little more scenes Yeah, because we, we see Katie talking to her mom, and she knows she's pregnant now. Yeah. And we see the device that was used, like it's unwired and it's sitting on her table. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Alex winning his... Re-election. Uh, election. And they're all celebrating. But amongst the celebrants on the stage is Art. And I love it, too. We see him keep, he keeps touching his ear, too. Yeah. He's got that butt in there. I love it because when you first see his entourage, Art's not there. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like the camera pans. And when it comes back over, he's, he, there. he's there. Yeah. So it's almost like one of those people... So even though he was yeah. t- he was told to get out of the state, <laughs> no, he's he's probably been doing what who knows what to Alex the entire time too. Right. So he's wormed his way into this, and who knows how far that's going to go. So again, you get the whole you know conspiracy that's and that, that's such spreading. a such a uh, like bleak little stinger to yeah. throw in there that yeah you know they they are safe and they did get away, but May- and Glenn apparently is still <laughs> under some of the suggestion. You know yeah. what's reality to him now? You know, but this technology now is kind of just out there and off the chain. Yeah. And that's where it stops. Great little ending. Yeah, it's a good ending. Love it. Mm-hmm. Have you any particular notes? I do have some about notes. This? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. 
So I didn't find a whole lot about it myself, but it is criminally under discussed. I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So let's see. We hit all the the Davids. I had, to, I had to get that in there. <laughs> oh, um, as far as like directing, Schroeder said that um, one of his major influences on designing the film was the Manchurian Candidate from 1962. Oh, yeah, that's a good reference point. I thought that was worth mentioning. That's a good movie. Um, this is Schroeder's debut feature, mm-hmm. which I think for a first feature, this is like a hell of a movie. It's very strong. Yeah. Uh, has a real sense of like style and vision. And I'm sure part of that was having Connor involved oh, yeah. uh, with the writing and stuff, but still just to take that and then adapt it in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not an easy story to tell either. No. Uh, Schroeder does have a history as a producer though. And I wanted to mention this. He co-produced a little favorite of mine, Beyond the Gates. Do you know that film? I don't think I do. It's about, uh, it's, it's like two brothers and they move back because it's like an old VHS store that their family had. And it's oh, yeah. It's going one, under. Uh, Barbara Crampton. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. That's, and they find the like video board game. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that it's one. It's kind of like a horror Jumanji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun little 80s throwback mm-hmm. horror film. Uh, it had see. a lot of Technicolor. Yeah. Good visuals. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this is my thoughts for the end. Um, I guess let's talk about reception and the, the fallout since this film existed. So yeah, okay. I covered this at Fantasia when I was doing my film journalism thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I just first heard about what it was, I was immediately excited for it. I liked the premise. Um... I don't think I've ever fully talked about my Fantasia experience because it was the virtual right. because of COVID thing. Right. Uh, they used this platform called GatherTown, mm-hmm. which was this weird thing where you had like a, a pixel avatar, almost like it was like a Super Nintendo game or something. <laughs> and they had a virtual like city made uh-huh. and you could move your avatar around in the city uh, with the arrow keys. And anyone that was in proximity to you could hear your mic and if you had a webcam, your face would like pop up in the corner. Okay. And it was like proximity based. So it was like you were at a convention or a film festival, but just virtually. Super weird. It was fun though. And I know other people have tried this. I think uh, we love uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, the role playing game. Mm-hmm. They once, for a convention during COVID, made like a whole dungeon with that platform <laughs> That's neat. that you could like explore and find secret rooms and stuff. That'd be fun. Um, it was weird, but interesting. But was there an AI dungeon master? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a whole other conversation to have. That's a whole other podcast right there. Um, but yeah, so being there and talking to other people that were there, there was a lot of hype about it, and everyone was talking about it after it screened, and was like very, very excited for it. And then when it got past that and on in time, and it got its wider release kind of just nothing like no one really picked mm-hmm. up on it no there was no real buzz not a lot of talking about it i don't remember hearing much about it um if you go on like letterbox it's kind of got like a three star like middling thing um if you just like quick scroll browse through there there's lots of one stars and a lot of them are kind of just saying like oh it didn't make any sense i didn't understand it they, there's plot holes that didn't explain everything um which i super disagree with because i think that like I like the weird, like, surreal mystery box films, but mm-hmm. this one, I think, 
it gives you that feeling, but then by the end, it pretty much ties up everything. I mean, you you, you do have to pay a modicum of attention. But, well, true, but, yeah. true, yeah, true. Yes, yes. <laughs> Some people have issues with that. Uh, I guess if you have a short attention span, it's not <laughs> you may you may not get there to the payoff at the end. Yeah. But um, but yeah, um, I think what I reviewed it, I actually even just gave it five stars oh, in, wow. my, in my article. But okay. does that um, rating still hold up for you? We will see. <laughs> we will see soon. Uh, so I don't know what happened. Uh, other things about it though. So. It didn't get a wide release. It got a very limited release. And in the United States and Canada, it earned $2,195 in six theaters during its opening weekend. The second weekend... It Skinamarink was, did better. <laughs> the second weekend, it was at the bottom of the charts. It made $81 out of one theater. Now, you think about that. You think about this film, and then you look at Skinamarink that got a wide release and has made... Buku dollars mm-hmm. out of control off the chain. I just don't understand it. <laughs> I don't know how this film has floundered. Marketing, maybe. And I guess that's the final thing I want to mention note-wise is... I, I mentioned this earlier about, like, you might want to buy the graphic novel to have a collectible for this film. It's put out by Magnet Releasing, so they dropped it on Hulu, which is awesome. Easy to get at. It got a DVD release with no Blu-ray. Okay, I, I know I've bitched about this before, but <laughs> why even make DVDs anymore? Yeah. Anyone who's yes. buying physical media, they're going to be buying at least Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Forget about DVDs. Who buys DVDs? If you're out there and you buy DVDs, I'm sorry, but, you know. I mean, it's, a okay, Blu-ray it's okay, but get a Blu-ray player. <laughs> um, yeah, I, just don't, I don't get it. I, I've told you this before. There's an anime company I really like called Discotech, and they over the last few years have phased out DVDs and they've just said like, Hey, if it doesn't have an HD master, we can even use, we're just going to put like standard definition on a Blu-ray disc and just have less discs. Right. Like why print like eight yeah. discs for a box set when you can just do one Blu-ray Makes no sense. And there's no high def version anyways. Like why bother? Right. So, so I don't know. It is a crime that this film does not have a Blu-ray. It is a crime. It truly um, is. And I will rage about that until one exists. <laughs> Perhaps you can will it into existence. Come fight me. Magnet releasing. <laughs> Let's do this. Anywhere, any place. I mean, how much more expensive can it be to do it in Blu-ray as opposed to DVD? I mean, really. It can't be that much more And Skin of a Rink's already got the Blu-ray on the lineup. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen the announcement. <laughs> Does this movie need to be in blue? <laughs> I'm holding out for the 4K. I want to see all the fuzzy out of focus grayness yes that corner <laughs> 4k clarity the corner of the tv showing the public domain cartoon yeah i don't know <laughs> I'm, I'm furious about that no you're, you're rightly so so i guess in light of that fury maybe we can get to our final thoughts on this one okay would you like me to go first i guess you, i should you may go first movie. yes I, i've seen it more i i obviously petitioned for it so well, I will not be disagreeing with you on this one too much. Because oh. I did enjoy it very much. I thought you would. Um, I don't think it's quite five stars for me. You're, you're a reserved man with those five I, stars. I really am. Right. I, don't, I don't hand those out. Man, it's like Paul Hollywood with a handshake. <laughs> you know? I don't just give five stars to anybody. Right. That's fine. <laughs> totally fine. Um, I'm going to land on a solid four for this one. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I liked, there's things I did like about it and things I didn't. Like, at, at the same time, I appreciate that it's sort of a smaller story. Because mm-hmm. this could have been one of those big, epic, action-packed, 
Oh yeah. You know. Which I like that it's more a in the whole headspace. Society is yeah. like under the, you know, suggestion of this dude and stuff <laughs> like that. I, I, it's kind of cool that we're seeing it like from the from the ground up. Mm-hmm. You know, like from its very big inception, basically. And, that, and that's interesting, and that's a cool story into itself. And you have the feeling that it's going to go on to become one of those big, yeah, you know, stories. I think any complaint I might have is I didn't really latch onto the characters that much. I think oh, really? the actors were pretty good. Yeah. But I think outside of Glenn, Vincent Carthizer, mm. I didn't really grok the characters. See, I kind of latched onto Shannon a lot. I don't know why. Eh. Maybe I felt a kinship to her like yeah. nervous energy. <laughs> Maybe it's your anger issues. I don't know. <laughs> You don't have anger issues. Maybe I need to like dose myself with hypnotic suggestions. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I did kind of want to spend more time with Art. Yeah. I will say that he's very present early on, and as the film goes, there's less and less of him. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering what Art was up to. <laughs> yeah, he is such a strong presence in his performance that, yeah, yeah. You, you do notice the lack of him. Right. Um, but, I mean, everything's it's directed really well, especially for a first feature that's pretty impressive. Um, it's shot nice. I like what you pointed out about different characters having different sort of visual you know, setups visuals to go yeah. along with them. Um, great music, so good. You know, I mean, um, I mean, I think it's a great movie. I think it's it is criminally underrated, and why it's not on the Blu-ray, I don't know. Why more people aren't <laughs> talking about it, I don't know, because it's very well worth seeing. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that some people out there at least will hear this and. Yeah, give it a watch, and mm-hmm. you you go bang that drum too. Let other people know. Yeah, absolutely. So as for me, we know that the year it came out, the debut it came out, I gave it five stars. Mm-hmm. So that's our starting point. So I just super love this film, like top to bottom. Like I love how it plays with your expectations and sets up so many mysteries, and then it pays those out, but then there's still some things unexplained. Right. Um, I like that it gives you puzzle pieces early with no context. And on a rewatch, if you come back through, you can like notice all of those mm-hmm. and it gives like payoff to repeated viewings and going back. Um, uh, the visuals I think are just gorgeous. There's so many good shots. Um, Katie swimming in the pool that like is such a little innocuous introduction to her and it has no right to look as good as it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just gorgeous. Such good perspective and framing. Um, the the camera tricks they do of like how you'll see Katie pregnant in the mirror, but then she's not in frame. Yeah, and you instantly know what's going on. You're not yeah. confused. Yeah. They make know? it very clear, but mm-hmm. they don't just come out and tell you like, right. she's been brainwashed. Yeah. <laughs> think she's not pregnant. Yeah. Um, the way like when Art visits her as the senator and he'll flip-flop between being Art or the senator. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the themes. I love the, again, that it's like Lynchian at first, but then it gets very Cronenberg-y, like early Cronenberg, like the brood or rabid. Yeah. Where there's just this weird science gone amok. Um, love the vibe with the research facility. That made me think a lot of uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah. Cosmodos' first one where you just yeah. got this very clinical, very white, very stark, slow, subdued world that you're existing in. Yeah. Good comparison. Um, let's see. Ba-ba-ba-ba hit on all of that um we talked about the different visual styles that was a big thing to me like that really impressed me 
And that final escape scene where it's like shifting through so many mm-hmm. things. Uh, that made me think of one of my favorite animated films, Paprika by Satoshi Kon, which is pretty much wholesale the inspiration for Inception. Oh, really? About, about diving into dreams and stuff like that. Mm. But um, that anime has a part where they're shifting between reality and the dream world. And it was very much the same kind of like vibe to it. Oh, cool. So I dug that. Um, score, love the score. It's heavy when it needs to be. It's subtle when it needs to be. Mm-hmm. The fact that they work in those pulses and tones in the background is just, ooh, that's yeah. like the cherry on top to everything. And that's like, in a way, that validates the film to me because that did something that the graphic novel can like suggest to you with like, you know, sound effects and stuff. But it's different because you like, you feel it. You're there with them hearing these tones and the clicks, which we didn't catch on that, but the clicking sound. That is Art snapping his fingers when he's doing the hypnotism. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yes, yes. So it's supposed to be like every time that's happening, that's him like subduing them further. Mm-hmm. So then when you look back at some of the earlier scenes, one of the clicks is when it cuts and Cindy vanishes. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. super okay. cool. Um, so yeah, I love it top to bottom. And I think anything this guy does next, I am there, front row, first seat, first ticket for. Love everything about it. Hard five stars for me. Just, nice. Cannot recommend it enough. Cool. No, I think it's a great flick. I'm glad you brought it to my attention. It's something that I'd heard about and always wanted to watch, but I'm not sure when I would have gotten to it. So I'm glad to finally have talked about it. Excellent. And I hope those listening out there can hear or listen to it, watch it, and hear it, <laughs> and enjoy it. Go read well. the graphic novel. Or read the graphic novel, sure. Get it every way you can. Nice. That being said, we have one more episode for this sort of freestyle block. So we're going back to the vault for another listener episode, and we are going to be kind of maybe a timely pick. <laughs> it's funny because I talked about it in my what I have been watching due to some connections, but um, we're going to check out uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Yep. Which we've both seen. Mm-hmm. Most uh, horror veterans have probably seen, but you know, Diodato uh, passed away recently. It seems only a fitting tribute to talk about one of his most notorious works. <laughs> Why not? And who's this suggestion from? Uh, it's from Elena. Again, mm-hmm. she she gave us uh, The Girl Next Door, which was our closer last year. Had fun doing that one. And you know, this is one of those like, yeah, if you go searching for podcasts to talk about it, plenty of people have covered it. Sure. We're probably not going to add anything new to the conversation, but think of all the times in episodes we have mentioned Cannibal Holocaust Yeah. in reference. Mm-hmm. So why not talk about it a little bit? I think we can bring something new to it. We'll try. We always try. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So that being said, this was a super fun episode. I'm glad to vindicate this film a little bit. I hope it clicks with some other people. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to us. Reach out. Send us more film suggestions. We always need them. We love them. We store them. They're our treasures. (laughs) Eventually they will roll out Mm -hmm. into the, the wide world for people to hear. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Man, send us anything. What you've been watching, something you think's cool. Tell us what you think about Skinnamarink. Tell us what you think about Skinnamarink. Tell us how we're wrong. It's this deep thing about the grief of children that are abused. Mm-hmm. Or maybe um, death experience. Whatever. Or whatever. We'll listen. It doesn't matter what we think. We, yeah. we like to hear what you think, too. It's yeah. cool. Um, but that being said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure.
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.